sort myself out. Okay. If you remember a few weeks ago, well, it's about a month ago, I spoke about Noah. And I actually brought the whole, I mean, let, let's sort of start it how I told it in the beginning, that we paint these lovely murals on kids' walls. The beautiful story of Noah, the animals going two by two, and it's all beautiful, all very nice. But we never paint on the kids' walls all the floating, bloated, drowned bodies. Why is that? Because we somehow forget those bits. Oh, you know, we'll leave that alone. And what I'm going to talk about tonight, actually, is this. I'm going to entitle my message, Awkward Issues. Awkward Stuff. And we might just touch on a few, or I might just get too frightened and not touch on them at all and waffle on and say something else. But I'm supposed to be talking about awkward issues. So the idea was that we've read the Bible, the Old Testament, and we came up with the, you know, the, 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 the story of, of the flood. And we have this idea that that was God's doing. And I sort of proposed to you that why is it that it can't have just been the way the people of that time and generation how they wrote up the experience of the story. Because in those days, those ancient tribes, that's what gods did. When they were mad with people, they sent floods. When they were upset, they sent plagues and all this, that and the other. So why would Israel, or, or the, the, the god of the time of that people that, that we were talking about at this particular time in Genesis, think any differently? Because this is how gods were written up, right? So we had a look at that, and uh, actually before, well, I'll give you this bit. We, we came to the conclusion that while there's lots of stories about floods all over the world in many different cultures, the one thing that was very different about this story is it ended different, that there was a rainbow put in the sky. God actually says, oh, this is the, 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 um, the story, how it goes, that I'm not doing that again. So what we have is this God is different. Because even if it starts the same, the wonderful thing is it ends up different. So we've been saying over the weeks in this house that we've, we actually serve an ungodlike God. <laughs> and it's a weird statement that, and people can't hack it. They just can't get their head around it because they want actually a very godlike God. But actually when you get down to that, and this is what we're probably going to cover a bit tonight, that's your Old Testament looking thing. You've got a God like God there. And guess what? We don't like it. Think about it. We have a God written in the Old Testament. And I've got to be careful how I express this because I don't want anybody to be upset with me. But you have written up in the Old Testament really a, a, an opposite story, feel, everything to what's in the new. Come on, let's be honest. And the, some of you go to colleges and you've got friends who want nothing to do with God or Jesus or Christianity. Why? Because they cannot reconcile the Old Testament with the New. And I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but allow me because I do better when I do this. This is sort of the issue. We have Jesus who is supposed to come and be the exact representation of God. But hang on a minute, we're either being conned because what Jesus was in the New Testament is nothing like God of the old. So if he's the exact repre representation, we're either waiting for the, for the rough stuff to come, or what was being said in the Old Testament isn't exactly a 
correct representation. Can I come out? No, but do do you see what I mean? And yet, listen, I, I can talk this way a bit because I have been brought up from a baby in Christianity, in the understanding of the faith, and yet I know that we've got to tackle these awkward issues. Because if we're not careful, we're saying, oh, well, somehow we'll, we'll just bleep. push it away and we'll focus on Jesus, which, yes, we should. But unless we have an explanation, we've got a problem. So, where am I? See, I told you if I didn't follow my notes, then I wouldn't know where I was anyway. But listen, I want to put something on very quickly. Oh, just bear with me. Can you put up 1 Peter uh, 3 verse 18? Put it on the screen as quick as you can. I think it's in King James Version. Just No, message, please. Because look at this, it's absolutely gorgeous. So exciting. Because we've had this, we did the story of Noah and we blah, blah, blah. But look at this scripture because it's just absolutely amazing. And what it'll do for you is make you think. Uh, what verse did I say? Sorry. Uh, 18. 1 Peter 3.18. It's coming. Right, and can you do the verses after that as well? Sorry, I, I didn't mean just pick one. I want to start there. Oh, I'm sorry. I haven't done this very well, have I? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Right. That's what Christ did, definitely. Suffered because of other sins. The righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, put to death. And then made us alive to God, to bring us to God. He went and proclaimed, just get this. He went and proclaimed God's salvation to earlier generations who ended up in the prison of judgment because they wouldn't listen. You know, even though God waited patiently all the days that Noah built his ship, only a few were saved then, eight to be exact, saved from the water by the water. Who did he go and preach the message of salvation to? What? All the bodies? And you know, it came to me so incredible. Physically, you might die, but you're not going to be dead dead. They weren't dead dead. And you know what's so fantastic? People talk about, well, you know, once once you're dead, is there any opportunity for people to be saved? There is there. Look at that. Whoa. So if there is there, ooh, I think that's so exciting. Because even though, and I mean, I was in the shower and this came to me, I thought, yeah, you know, even, even if we want to say that God was responsible for the killing of all these physical people because he wanted to rid the world of evil, which sounds like a good idea. Let's get rid of it. Be honest. Sometimes we want to go out into these other countries where there's all... Don't we want to get rid of it? It's not wrong to want to get rid of evil. Are you following me? But the issue is, even though God was able to say, okay, I'll get rid of these because they're creating an awful lot of trouble, they weren't dead dead. Isn't that great? Because you see, we've been made in the image of God. We've got his never dying spirit within us. 
Just think about that. Anyway, I'm not talking about that tonight. Okay, never mind. So there's, so probably I'm going to ask, uh, ask more questions than I'm going to give answers tonight about where I'm going. And I've already sort of given you a little bit. But you see, why is any of this that I'm going to talk about important tonight? I actually believe that this part is important, not because I'm speaking, but it's because how I perceive and what I perceive God to be makes me who I am. And I believe it also dictates what sort of human being I am. Now the reason, can I say that again? Shall I say it again? My image of God makes me who I am. What the image I have of him, I know I'm made in his image, but I'm saying that the view of him, the perception I have, makes me who I am. And it also dictates what sort of human being I am. Because you see, if I get the wrong idea about who God is, it's going to make me do the things that I think that God might think is okay to do. Because if I think that God is a bloodthirsty God and a murderer of people, and I think, well, that's okay because he did it, I might think I'm all right to do it too. Tell me, how many have done that in the world? So we've got to be careful. And that's why I think that this part of the service is so important because hopefully in a very short time, we can actually deliver to you an idea so you can think about it of the, of the, the image of God and who he is, what his character and nature is. But you know what? <clears throat> Excuse me. What's really difficult at times is like I said at the beginning, we have this Old Testament that when people read it, they could say, you say he is this, but that says is something else. So we've got to be able to, to figure it out. Now, well, the reason why I went around there before is because it's very, very difficult to start talking about the fact that how the Old Testament is written is not necessarily always just history or, or, or something that literally happened, but it, it's, it's pictorial. I mean, for instance, some of the things that are written in stories are actually symbolic of things that happened way later in Israel's life and uh, as a nation than when it actually suggests that it was written. So it's a story about the past, but it was actually written very much in a, a present day. So they were writing things that explained about their lives and their journey. But even in the order it's in, it looks as though it happened then, when actually it happened during the times of the King David or whoever. I, are you following what I'm saying? But I mean, I haven't time to, to, to dwell on that tonight. Just Can you just trust, trust me a little bit on this one? Anyway, so I came up with this thought. I would rather you be an atheist and not have any belief in God at all than have a distorted view of God because a distorted view of God is far more dangerous than not having any view at all. Try and just think of that for a while. Now, why do I say that? Because from my own experience, going back over the years, as I say, I've been brought up in it for years, that I had to recognize that because I believe certain things about God from over here, it was making me be the type of human being I was here. And it was only as that started to get knocked out of me when I started to question and say, I'm not sure where I think about this anymore, that I saw God in a totally different light, which then changed me. I remember thinking it being incredibly 
judgmental about certain things that should happen and shouldn't, shouldn't happen. Why? Because that's what I t- was taught God wanted. Yeah? So we... Isn't that true? I love a book that's written by um, uh, McLaren. Uh, no, it isn't. It's somebody else. Tomlinson. Dave Thomas. He, he, he's written a book called How to Be a Bad Christian but a Better Human Being. It's a great book. Have a read. See, the thing is, what's a bad Christian? Normally, the idea is a bad Christian is somebody who can't get it all together. And Christians are supposed to be pretty perfect. Oh, we've had that already tonight. But you know what? A good Christian, just get this. Most people see good Christians because they've got it so together that they become pompous asses and they can't leave anybody alone. So who's the bad Christian? Does that make sense? And I think that there's an issue that, ooh, when we talk about proper Christians and proper Christianity, it's actually still attached to this old idea that God is somehow this tribal deity who's angry and he's constantly lashing out and saying, you get your act together or you... And that's somehow the proper Christianity that... Do you know, sometimes I watch, not the God TV channel, but God religious channels in general. And what I uh, realize is that there's a couple of channels that are forever telling everybody that they're wrong. They never say any good news. It's always, you're wrong, you're wrong. And I'm thinking, can we not give some good news? But why is that? It's because they're still attached to this old idea of a, of a bloodthirsty God who demands and is, is, is very warfaring, etc., etc. So, like I said at the beginning, we can't get away from the fact that the Old Testament has these issues. Is, it, is this making sense? I hope you're getting something from it. So, I was told how you reconcile the old and the new. is Well, first of all, you try to avoid it as, <laughs> as much as you can. God will take care of all that. Oh, you know, God knows what he's doing. He's always right. He is just. Yeah. And he is. But that doesn't always answer the questions, does it? Or, well, you know, we don't understand all of it. But when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll understand it all then. Oh, gee, thanks. You know. And then, of course, the, the, the best one is God is sovereign. You know, he's the boss. And he can just do what he wants. And that makes everything all right. Well, you know what? It doesn't. I'm not okay with that. And you see, the thing is, God cannot let himself, even though he is the great creator and the king of all kings and above everything, he will still not let himself do what he tells you you shouldn't. Come on. We, we have more integrity with our kids than we let God have. If we say it, we expect to follow through. And we say then that God does, says one thing, but then does something else. No, he is faithful to say, if I say this, I'm going to do this. But we'll get to loving your enemies in a minute. We're on our way. So anyway, the Old Testament for me is there's this portrait of a particular type of God, an angry tribal deity which was leading a tri- tribal uh, people. And so, of course, you've got... The whole, all of the stories, how many stories are about war? 
because that's how they measured their victories, how great their God was. If they won, their God was greater. If they lost, their God wasn't as good as the other God, etc., etc. And how God showed they were powerful. And when I said, did you hear I said plural gods? Because there, was, there wasn't just the gods, there was many gods. Not real ones, but there was a lot of them. All countries had their own gods. How they showed they were powerful was that you killed your enemies and you took their land and you put your flag and that meant our God's great, our king's great because that's how you spoke about it. That's If you were overrun by your enemies and God was angry with you or you were being punished for something, if you were overrunning them, then God must be happy with you. Killing and stealing land This also showed your devotion to God. It gave your God glory and honor because you were actually making him look good. Yeah? Does that sound right? Now, even child sacrifices, and I spoke about this a few weeks ago. It was one of those things that seemed to be okay. Now, let's talk about the land of Israel for a little bit because the the Old Testament is a lot about Israel. And the thing is, Israel was surrounded by a whole bunch of other countries. There's Egypt, there's Babylon, there's Assyria, which were incredibly ancient, uh, established uh, dynasties that had their own gods, that had their own um, uh, cultures, that had their own laws. And you see, because Israel is here in the middle, they were shaped by lots of things that other people were doing. Just like we, we get shaped by Europe. Don't we? I was about to say something funny but terrible again. I was going to say, how long is she carrot? I was meaning in the context of the European stuff who even tells us how long our carrots can be, for goodness sake. See, how we get influenced by laws and cultures and this and that. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that because you're now in Europe. You have to be like us. And Israel was the same. So although Israel was started by Abraham, in the sense he was the one called out by God to start up this new nation. Remember, Abraham himself came from Ur of the Chaldees, who was already way established in a different um religion that worshipped the sun god. So you first of all got to get out of Abraham all his influences before he can start having a sort of what you would call a newfound, um, uh, what's the word for something like new, you know what I mean, new birth faith. He was actually coming from one faith into something totally different. I mean, that's incredible in itself that Abraham, who we call the founder of the faith in that sense, started as, as a, as a, as a pagan in that sense, and I don't say that derogatorily, but I'm just, oh, hope you're getting me okay. Anyway, so with all this in mind, you've got to look at the Old Testament as these people talking about their experiences with that sort of mindset. This is what God told us to do, and this is what he said, and yeah, we can even sacrifice our children, if, and it'll make him happy. Why? Because other nations sacrificed their kids, so they got the idea that they could do it too, etc., etc. So, with this in mind, I just quickly want to look at the start, this story tonight, and then 
you're going to say, what's that all about? And I'll just say, I don't know, and I'll sit down. Okay. After the flood, there's a bit of an incident. And remember, we talked about it a few weeks ago, that, that all, all this is done away with, and we're left with dry land, and Noah and his family get out of the boat and everything, that and the other. Then they have a party or do something like that, and he ends up drunk and naked in his tent. We touched that. Which is so ridiculous, because, like I keep thinking, if we're going to get rid of everybody who's, quote, evil and sinning, then we, got, we start again with an imperfect man, which you talked about tonight. He, he wasn't any better than the others. He maybe wasn't doing as many naughty things, but he was still not perfect. You get me? So we have the starting again of whatever's going to happen with this Im imperfect man called Noah. Gets drunk, and because there's a bit of a, a humiliation thing going on, and you don't have to know the details, but this, he gets humiliated. So when he comes round from his uh, hangover, he basically points at this guy who'd laughed at him, his son, one of his sons, and he says to him, and it's amazing, I find this unbelievable, he doesn't say to him, well, that wasn't very nice. Really, you disrespected me there. I don't like it, so I'm stopping your allowance for a few weeks, and you can maybe go to your room. He says, cursed are your descendants forever bit harsh, don't you think? For crying out loud. He was drunk. He was naked. He probably deserved a laugh. I don't know. Right? That was how harsh the thing was. Now, this basic story then runs through the Old, the Old Testament because the son of Ham was Cain, who became the Canaanites, which, as the story goes, God supposedly tells the Israelites that you're going to exterminate the entire country. It's not nice. Now, I'm, I could hang my hat on this and say I don't believe it for a minute. I think maybe this was just their view and their idea of because of this tribal idea. I mean, I was watching a program on the Plantagenets the other night. Oh, I'm dead historic, you know. Keith Anderson will know who the Plantagenets are. Who else knows them? King Henry II. I learnt all about him. And he was just warring all the time. He didn't think now going into France and butchering everybody. It was like, it's like what they did. <laughs> really odd. I'm glad we're not like that now. I mean, it's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. It's like whoever wrote this story had it in for the Canaanites right from the start. Because, basically, God supposedly said, right, um, you're going to go into Egypt for a while, into captivity, but when you come out, I want you to make your way to that land called Canaan. And because these Canaanites are cursed, you can kill them all. It's almost, you know, because you're cursed, you know, we can get rid of you. And um, what happened, they get there, and instead of, they got, I think they chickened out or whatever, they didn't actually get on with it. So God said, all right, then you're going to walk for 40 years in the wilderness. So they had 40 years in the wilderness, then you can have another bash at it. So they went back then, and then they did it, basically. They 
killed all the ex, the ex, I like exterminate. I like that word. All the Canaanites. And um, that was it. They took the land. I really struggle that, that that's God's heart. I, I, you can think what you like and you can come and shoot me afterwards or whatever. But that to me is not God's heart. There's something wrong. Right? Because at the end of the day, people have said, yes, but do you not know the Canaanites were really wicked, evil people? Were they more wicked than anybody else? Oh, yes, but the child sacrificed, etc., etc. But so did other countries. But it, God didn't have it in for them. He already had it in for the Canaanites. And it looks, and I say looks, that all the reason why the people were got rid of was because the land in which they lived was the land that Abraham was promised he could have for the Israelites. Now, again, I'm throwing it out to you. We can all come up, well, that's great, because these are God's people. And because they're God's people, we have to kick out everybody else, because we're all special, and everybody else is, is rubbish. Again, is that God's heart? And you can see why over the, over the centuries, whether it be in church or whether it be in other things, where people get this us and them mentality. You don't have to be religious to do this sort of stuff. You can just decide, I don't, I, I, I want that, therefore I'm going to take it. And... Isn't that right? Now, I, I don't think that, that that's God's heart at all. Because, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago, and I'm coming to it now, it's almost as though love your enemies, which is referenced Luke 6 verse 27, which I will read it to you. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who despitefully use you, only came into being with Jesus in the New Testament. And that just can't be right. Now, if God is behind the Bible, we say it's the, you know, the inspired word of God, which I believe it is in inspired. You could say, well, why was it allowed to be written up that way? Why did God get written up the way he was? Why did God allow it? And you know, the more I think about it, because it is my belief that I don't think that it was what he wanted. But I mean, you see, I'm just telling you my view. You don't have to have it. I promise you don't have to have it. Um, I'm amazed at how God is willing to let himself be seen. You say, well, surely he should stand up and clear the, the, the deck and say, look, you've got it all wrong. But you see, even when, and I'm, again, I'm probably moving a bit too far forward, even when then Jesus comes as God in the flesh to manifest himself to people, he didn't act the way they expected him to act. So the, the Jews said, you can't be the Messiah because you're not God-like enough. And he said, tough. He didn't say, oh, but I am. He said, it's up to you. Do, do with me what you like. And they did. They got rid of him. 
It's as though God operates somehow, even through Jesus, almost through this countercultural way. It's not the way of the present culture. It's opposite the present culture. And people can't hang with that. Even a couple of weeks ago, I said to somebody, you know, God really loves you and he cares for you so much. And even if you were to not get through this situation and it was to take your life, God is there for you and he's waiting to receive you. He looked at me and said, oh, your, your God's too passive. <laughs> too passive? I was offering him a free ticket to something incredible. And it was as though, ooh, that sounds a bit, ooh. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Even now we seem to want something that, uh, we'll, we'll get that to it in a minute. But here's the point. God is not like other gods. He lets people tell the story the way they see it. And he doesn't seek to, to, to try and promote himself or, or even though he's been misunderstood, you know, and it's like the fishing story, isn't it? How big your fish were. I, I, I caught one this big. I don't know. Stories get lengthened, they get shortened, they get changed. Uh, little emphases are put here in order to make us look better and it's in our favour. You can see how that's happened uh, to many stories that have gone on, even though it means rep misrepresenting the God of creation. Now, here's the point. He was going to take action, but not in, a ma in minor battles. So, for instance, he wasn't going to fight battles to make him be seen in a different way. He was going to win the war once and for all, but even in the way that he died would bring confusion because the Jews said, you can't be God because God can't die. And then, he, then they said, and even the fact you're, you're dying on a cross, that's the death of a criminal. And, and God wouldn't allow himself to be seen as a criminal. So can you see, it's all very, I call that countercultural. And then of course you've got the, <laughs> oh, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. That was the Jewish one of the Jewish laws. So for the Jews to see Jesus hanging on a cross, he's a cursed man anyway. He can't, can't be any good. And then, of course, you've got your, your Greeks, which I think is amazing because obviously at the time you've got the, the Romans and what you would call the Gentile groups living in the same area at the time who are so um, influenced by Greek philosophy, look at Jesus and say, he's talking a load of nonsense. That's not clever, clever talk. How can he be a god? He, he's not even like remotely like Plato or Aristotle or whatever. So he was rejected. Instead of standing up and saying, hang on a minute. He says he went as a sheep, as a lamb to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. Oh. That to me is incredible. I see Jesus came to dismantle the, that tribal view of God. People would still misunderstand him and they still do today. But what I like about this, and you just get this thought and go away and think about it, he was bringing a new idea. He was changing this, the, and Joel brought it so beautifully a few weeks ago when he talked about getting away from sacrifice, getting away from warring, getting away from taking, taking away from killing, and bringing a whole new understanding of a way of love. And he was saying, Get away from blood and get to love. And you see, even in that context, if we stick or get attached to this 
tribal deity of the Old Testament, we then apply that to the cross and the cross becomes another instrument of warfare and of bloodshed which keeps us attached to this old idea. It, it, can, it can reinforce it and, and justify it. So you see, instead of it being a God of love, when we look at the cross, who says, where it's, he's telling us that, okay, if a man asks you to walk a mile, walk two. If somebody wants a, a coat, give him, give him more. See, that was what he was bringing. Instead of from, going from warfare, where you did everything by power and might, you were going to do it by love. And I just think that's an incredible, way of looking at it. Anyway, just as nations uh, influenced Israel that shaped their belief about God, we too can be influenced and what, what we believe about God. And that's why I said at the beginning, I believe it's so important that we decide what is our image of God? What is it that we believe about him? Because it's going to dictate what sort of human being that I am. So let me just quickly bring this to an end. I'm nearly done. Um, Sometimes our influences let us come up with the idea that God was the baddie of the Old Testament, but Jesus is the goodie of the new. You can't, you just can't have that idea. It just doesn't work because at the end of the day, it would make him a split personality, right? It would say that God and Jesus are somehow in conflict with them, with, with each other, that, that God is this just person who demands everything to be sorted out and he hates sin and, e and evil. And then, of course, you've got Jesus that loves everybody so that somehow they're trying to make it work. Well, it just doesn't, can you see how it doesn't work? So where does this all come from? Like I said at the beginning, sometimes it's because we get it from the Bible. I like the idea that the Bible should be heard rather than read. Different idea that it needs to be heard because there's a spirit in it that we have to, to, to fight through and get because otherwise, that's why in the, in the New Testament there used to be the rabbis that would sit and would talk and they would say, okay, this is what we used to think about this. What do we think about it now? So what's the point of all this? Jesus, not the Bible, has the final word. Some of you want a warrior God like that of the Old Testament. You want a God that kicks butt because you like the idea of a warrior God. The only problem with that, and I, you know, you're going to have to make of this what you like, it might be yours. But you'd say, ah, no. Because you see, I, uh, I'm not as sinful as so God's not going to kick my butt because of what I do and why, where I go. Do, do, do. See what I mean? We always, it's always somebody else who's worse than, and it, we need, we need God as the, the warrior to sort out that mess there, but I'm okay. So you see, to bring this to an end, this is how I believe that Israel wrote up their God. And there was not a lot of room for anyone else to share in that favor because you see, the way Israel also wrote the story was about God always being on their side and it was always them that were okay, but it was always everybody else that wasn't. You know what I mean? And there's only very few places where actually you see this 
incredible, compassionate God coming through. And you've, you've got a few stories. We, we're not going to talk about them tonight, but there's Rahab there and there's Jonah. And I say, why didn't, if, if this is a true thing, why didn't God send a Jonah to Canaan to talk to the Canaanites when he sent Jonah to the Ninevites, they repented? It's weird, isn't it? I like questions like that. You can go away and think about that one if you want. Anyway, let's now just very, very quickly, like in a couple of sentences, bring this to a close. So we get to Jesus, and he comes, and he writes up his God. He writes him up. And how does he write him up? I don't believe he just came to redeem his father's reputation. I don't believe that at all. I believe he, he, he was just coming to say, okay, Look at me and change your mind. Just look at me and change your mind. Whatever it is that you've had from the past, look at me and change your mind. And so we come to Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. And if you can put it up in the New King James Version, please, and I'll, I'll um, just wait for you. This is the story of the woman who came to Jesus and asked him to heal her daughter. And it's the story of what I call the dogs and the crumbs. You've heard it before. So look at verse 22. And behold, a woman of... Well, I'm glad you really were excited about that. This was Jimmy Swaggart's church. There's one man who sits on the front in a white shirt. And as soon as he says anything good, he gets up and he runs all the way around the church and comes back to his chair. A woman from... A woman from... She's a Canaanite. And this is why this story, we're not going to go into it, why Jesus is quiet. She asks a question and he's quiet. He's looking at his disciples and this, that, and the other. Because he knows the backstory. He knows what the, he knows the history. He knows what's been talked about Canaan. He knows what they believe God has done, blah, 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 blah. And you'll remember that next week. But in the end, what happens? He gives her what she asks for, and her daughter was healed that very hour. Why was that done? Because Jesus is establishing right there, right then, whatever you think about the Canaanite business back then, it is not what we hold at all. It's there. Now, who were the Canaanites in the present time? were upsetting the, the Israelites. It was the Romans that had been overtaken by, you know, another force had come in. They were miserable as anything. And why did they have a problem with Jesus? Because they believed that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come and boot out the Romans the way God had booted out the Canaanites. Because that was the story of history. That's how it happened. Do you see? And what does Jesus do? He says, I'll tell you what, this is how the story goes. Canaanites, they're in. To everyone's horror, 
So, how are you going to write up God? <laughs> how are you going to write him up? I don't know your history. I don't know what influences have been on your life or how you read, have read the Bible and what has affected you and how that's dictated the type of human being you are. But right now, that can change. We can decide in this very moment that we can look at the way Jesus wrote up his God, who was the Father, the Father of love, not a, the warrior God, but the Father. And he wrote him up, God to be good, not because he kills his enemies and empties lands, but because he's willing to include, save, and love them. Does that make sense? I hope so. Because I'm trying to deal with some awkward issues. Because as far as I'm concerned, the, the rock is here as a, as a place that is making the gospel clearer for people to grasp. I don't want anybody to turn around and say, I can't have your God because of this. We're able to say, ah, but let's show you this. This is the good news of the gospel. So, I'll leave it there. Just remember next week, when you're going through all your troubles, just say, do you know what? The Canaanite was included. So when we put that against the backstory, there's got to be something that's wrong. Yeah? Got to be something that's wrong. So there you go. I rest my case, and I bless you all in the name of Jesus. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep sharing the good news, because it is good. It's wonderful. So thank you very much.